Hey, hey, and welcome. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. We got a lot to get to here today. Newspapers across America uniting to condemn President Trump. We examine why it's so easy to misunderstand how evil works, and John Brennan whines a lot. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. As I say, so many things to get to here today. Lots and lots to get to here today. But first, let's talk about your impending death. Life insurance is really important, but it's also really confusing. No wonder four out of 10 people don't have it. Maybe you are one of those people. You here in the audience, you don't think you're gonna die, but one day you will. I'm sorry to break it to you. And that's why life insurance is necessary. Life insurance rates are the lowest they've been in 20 years. The best time to buy is now. The best place to buy is policygenius.com. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare life insurance online. In just five minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers and find the best policy for you. And when you compare quotes, you save money. It is indeed that simple. Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance. They've placed over $20 billion in coverage. And they don't just do life insurance. They do health insurance and disability insurance and renter's insurance, all the rest of it. If you've been putting off getting your life insurance, there is no reason to put it off any longer. Go to policygenius.com, get quotes, apply in minutes. It's that easy. You could do it right now. And you should because rates are their lowest in 20 years. And if if you die and leave your family bereft, they won't be able to pay for a nice headstone for you. So go check it out right now. Policy Genius. It is the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. That's policygenius.com. So we begin today with the fact that 300 newspapers, 300 newspapers across the country have all decided that it is deeply necessary and important to come out against President Trump. 300 newspapers all across the country. This thing was led by the Boston Globe. The Boston Globe coordinated this entire shtick. And I guess the idea here is to show that the media is not in collusion against President Trump by colluding against President Trump. It makes perfect sense all the way across the board. The Boston Globe has its own very long editorial all about this. And they write, a central pillar of President Trump's politics is a sustained assault on the free press. Journalists are not classified as fellow Americans, but rather the enemy of the people. This relentless assault on the free press has dangerous consequences. We asked editorial boards from across the country, liberal and conservative, large and small, but mostly liberal, to join us today to address this fundamental threat in their own words. And there are hundreds of editorials, and they show some poll results about how much Americans trust the press. And what these poll results show, it's kind of fascinating, is that it's not just a matter of conservatives not trusting the press. A lot of people don't trust the press. About 26% of all independents say the news media are the enemy of the American people. That's registered independents, not Republicans, not Democrats. And when you look at the numbers with regard to, for example, the New York Times, what you see is that only about 37% of independents actually, about 37% believe the New York Times is untrustworthy, about 60% believe it's trustworthy. Well, you would figure that independents, if the New York Times were actually trustworthy, independents would be up near 100%. You'd figure Republicans would be 100% against, Democrats would be 100% for, and independents would be 100% for, because independents are independent-minded. Instead, it turns out that the New York Times can only get about 6 in 10 even from independents. But I guess we're supposed to believe that all of the distrust of the media began with President Trump. And that's what the Boston Globe says. The Boston Globe says that the president is stoking domestic division for political and personal gain. He's asking his audiences to follow him into Fantasia. Is they quote President Trump saying this, just stick with us. Don't believe the crap you see from these people, the fake news. Just remember, what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. 
And the Boston Globe says this sounds like George Orwell's 1984. The problem, of course, is that the media have been engaged in undermining their own credibility for quite a while now. The, the suggestion that the media are just good stewards of the truth and that only when President Trump levels these unfair, nasty attacks at people, that's when things go wrong, it's just not true in any sense. There's no evidence for it. In fact, the evidence is all on the other side. Republicans have been anti-media since long before I was born. I, mean, I was writing about how terrible the media was when I first started writing when I was 17 years old. The media has been garbage when it comes to reporting an objective truth for as long as I have been alive and as long as many of the people in this audience have been alive. And then they're shocked when President Trump says this is all fake news and then people will start to ignore the news. Well, President Trump wasn't going to leave well enough alone. President Trump jumped on Twitter and did what President Trump does best. That's right, dude said some crap. Because that's a shtick, right? As I say many times on the show, the president uh, on his headstone, you know, when his time comes after 120 years, when the president goes, on his headstone, it'll say 45th president of the United States, he said a lot of crap. So here's what President Trump had to, had to say. He said, the fake news media is the opposition party. It is very bad for our great country, but we are winning. And it's hard not to see the fake news media as the opposition party when 300 of them are coordinating to attack the administration and to attack Trump. Remember, what President Trump has done in terms of policy to crack down on the news media is not even remotely comparable to what the Obama administration actually did to crack down on certain members of the news media. They legitimately wiretapped people like James Rosen at Fox News. They wiretapped the Associated Press. So President Trump says many things. but. I think a lot of that's become background noise is the truth. Most Americans know that when President Trump says stuff, it's because he says a lot of stuff. But don't worry, he said more stuff. So here is what he said. He said, now this one is real galaxy brain. I, I, I can't really, I, I, I puzzled over this one for a while and I couldn't come to any clear conclusion as to what it's supposed to say. Maybe we are just, maybe, maybe he's operating on a different plane. I mean, I think he is, but I don't think it's the way that most people think he is. Here, here's what he says. The Boston Globe, which was sold to the failing New York Times for $1.3 billion, plus $800 million in losses and investment, or $2.1 billion, was then sold by the Times for $1. Now the Globe is in collusion with other papers on free press. Prove it. <laughs> I sort of feel like Winona Ryder at the Oscars. Just kind of looking around randomly, trying to figure out what exactly this is supposed to mean. I mean, it is good to know the president can add together 1.3 billion and 800 million. That's good. Right? That part of his math is good. But I don't know what the rest of this tweet means. I'm not, I'm not sure. And then what I like at the very end is when he says, prove it. Like he's going to say, prove it. And Inspector Clouseau is going to bust through the doors. Like, I have the proof. Right? Sherlock Holmes is going to wander into his office and say, uh, sir, I've proven it. Like, I don't, I don't understand what this is. But, but you know president saying stuff and the stuff continues. So he finishes up this way. He says, there is nothing that I would want more for our country than true freedom of the press. The fact is that the press is free to write and say anything it wants, but much of what it says is fake news, pushing a political agenda or just plain trying to hurt people. Honesty wins. Okay, so again, I have a lot of sympathy for this position. There's a certain irony, just to be perfectly frank, in the president placing in all capital letters, uh, letters honesty wins. But I mean, even with that said, 
what he is saying is basically true. And, and the media cannot fathom why it is that so many people do not trust them. Well, the clearest example of why people do not trust the mainstream media to be found is the narrative over the past 48 hours over the taking away of John Brennan's security clearance. So John Brennan was the head of the CIA under Barack Obama, and John Brennan is a garbage heap. John Brennan is just terrible. John Brennan lied to the American Congress, and he full-scale lied to them. He said that people weren't being surveilled when they were being surveilled. And John Brennan was instrumental in pushing inf information that was not good enough to actually indict President Trump on or to get the Trump campaign on with regard to collusion. He was instrumental in pushing all of that information over to Harry Reid. He was instrumental in making sure that all of it hit the press. And then he goes on television and he says a lot of things about how collusion is real. He has an editorial in the New York Times today about how collusion is real. I kid you not. Right? It's, it's a full-on editorial, and the title of it is President Trump's Claims of No Collusion Are Hogwash. That is the name of the column. And then he goes through about 800 words, and you're waiting for him to actually prove this thing. Okay, well, if you are the big truth teller, if you are the great truth teller who ought to retain your security clearance, maybe you ought to provide some proof that the collusion actually happened. But you get all the way through the article, and there's nothing there. Right? Here's what he says. He says, Mr. Trump's claims of no collusion are, in a word, hogwash. The only questions that remain are whether the collusion that took place constituted criminally liable conspiracy, whether obstruction of justice occurred to cover up any collusion or conspiracy, and how many members of Trump Incorporated attempted to defraud the government by laundering and concealing the movement of money into their pockets. Now, I need to take that more slowly so you understand how absurd that statement is. Right? He says, There's no, the, the, the claims of no collusion are hogwash. The only things we have to know are, were there, what, did collusion happen? That's really what he's saying. He's saying, Absolutely collusion happened. The only question yet to be answered is whether collusion actually happened. <laughs> and then he cites Paul Manafort, who there are no accusations in the Paul Manafort trial that Paul Manafort actually colluded with the Russians to affect the election in any way. That is not part of Paul Manafort's trial. By the way, Paul Manafort may get off. The jury sent a note to the judge today asking the definition of reasonable doubt. I used to work in a prosecutor's office. That's never a good sign. <laughs> he says that Rick Gates, Right, he says, Rick Gates is involved in collusion. Again, there is no evidence that Rick Gates is involved in any collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. All of the charges with regard to Manafort and Gates predate their involvement with the Trump campaign. But Brendan concludes his piece in the New York Times thusly. He says, Mr. Trump clearly has become more desperate to protect himself and those close to him, which is why he made the politically motivated decision to revoke my security clearance in an attempt to scare into silence others who might dare challenge him. Yes, clearly Brendan has been frightened into silence in the pages of the New York Times. Clearly, the president has been uber successful at shutting John Brennan down. So he says that it's important that the special counsel do his work. So the entire left has come out in support of John Brennan, ignoring the fact that John Brennan has been a corrupt official, that he has been extraordinarily political since leaving office. And honestly, there should be a blanket rule that when you leave office and you're no longer part of the administration, you probably should lose your security clearance anyway. I'm, I'm very confused. I'm confused by folks who say that there's some sort of right to keep your security clearance after you leave office. Like, do you really think the Trump administration is going to call up John Brennan for advice? It's never going to happen. There's no reason for any of that to happen. But the media have jumped on this with both feet. And we'll get to that in just a second. But first, let's talk about the possibility of an emergency. When an emergency strikes, what is your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and nothing but empty shelves. How do you avoid all of this? Well, it's pretty easy. You use today and you make a plan. You prepare. And one practical place to start is storing up food in your home. You can trust My Patriot Supply for your food storage so you'll be ready for earthquakes, hurricanes, long-term power outages, and more. Here's a great special that makes it simple. 
Every person in your household should have a two-week emergency food supply from My Patriot Supply. These kits are just 75 bucks right now. They contain 92 servings of breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. Take action. Call 888-803-1413 or go to my special website, preparewithben.com. Listen, the government recommends that you have some food in your house in case of emergency because they may not be able to get to you. And you never want to be reliant on the government anyway. This makes sure that you and your family are safe. If, God forbid, people can't get to you and you need food. The food lasts up to 25 years in storage. Meals come packed in a rugged, slimline tote, too. It is only 75 bucks. Rest tonight knowing that you're prepared. Order your food kits at 888-803-1413 or at preparewithben.com. Make sure you are not left unprepared. Preparewithben.com. So the argument from the left with regard to John Brennan is that John Brennan actually had a right to keep his security clearance. Now, President Trump did what President Trump does, as I've said many times. He said stuff about this. Now, he didn't actually have to say stuff about this. What he should have just said is, yeah, John Brennan didn't like that guy. He worked for the Obama administration. Don't trust him. No security clearance. Instead, he decided that he was going to do a 20-minute impromptu interview with the Wall Street Journal. I swear, I'm being President Trump's handler. It's like watching my two-and-a-half-year-old son. You just, I'm rooting for him, but I know that if I don't watch him for five seconds, he's going to break his face on something. So he told the Wall Street Journal during this 20-minute impromptu interview, he said, I called the rigged witch hunt a sham, and these people led it, so I think it's something that had to be done. Okay, well, that's partially true, but the problem is when it makes it look like it's a political hit, when it looks like you're, you're pursuing a political hit against your political opponents, people are likely going to complain about it and complain that their First Amendment rights have been violated, that you're discriminating against them on the basis of their politics from a governmental point of view. All he had to do was just say, listen, I don't, John Brennan's security clearance is gone. Instead, he listed basically all the people he doesn't like, and then he said, I'm taking your secu security clearance, which isn't supremely smart. However, the overblown reaction to this is truly something to watch. So John Brennan, right, who is a hysterical, hissy, just pissy human being, John Brennan goes on national television, and he starts ranting and raving about tyrants and despots. Remember, this is the guy who lied to the Congress of the United States about whether he is spying on you. And he is talking about how it's tyrannical despotism for his security clearance that he hasn't used in over two years to be removed from him. John Brennan, one of the geniuses of our age. I've seen this type of behavior and actions on the part of foreign tyrants and despots and autocrats for many, many years during my CIA and national security career. I never, ever thought that I would see it here in the United States. Absolutely Hitlerian. How dare somebody remove a piece of paper he wasn't using and that he had no right to have in the first place? How dare this happen? And the media, of course, blow this up to gargantuan proportions. They find everyone they can to come out and talk about this. The latest person who they have brought out to talk about this is retired Admiral William McRaven, most famous for having been the guy who oversaw the, the operation that ended with the death of Osama bin Laden. So there's a full op-ed in the Washington Post by Admiral McRaven talking about how terrible it is that John Brennan's security clearance was removed. And here is what his op-ed had to say. He said, few Americans have done more to protect this country than John. He is a man of unparalleled integrity, whose honesty and character have never been in question, except by those who don't know him, and people who watch TV. I mean, Admiral McRaven did some wonderful things, but Admiral McRaven is, in fact, a Democrat who doesn't like President Trump. He's spoken out against President Trump many times before, and yet this is being touted as some sort of great evidence that President Trump did something deeply wrong. Now, the hilarious thing is that past administrations have use their power to strip paperwork away from people before. You remember early on in the Clinton administration, for example, they removed a bunch of people in the travel office, in the travel office, who they didn't like. And it was called Travelgate, and nothing ever came of it. 
This sort of thing isn't remarkably uncommon, but the fact the media decided to overblow it is just more evidence that the media are who the media are, which is why they feel the necessity to, in unison, all 300 papers unite and talk about President Trump. Meanwhile, the media have decided that they are going to increase their capacity to, to go after President Trump by continuing to push forward Omarosa Manigault. So, Omarosa Manigault will not leave. She has now been fired. I kid you not. She was fired, let's see, twice by the Clinton administration. You didn't know that, did you? She worked, for, she worked for Gore in the Clinton administration. She was fired twice by the Clinton administration. Then she was fired three times on The Apprentice. And now she's been fired once by the Trump White House. And undoubtedly, at some point, she'll say something nice. Trump will hire her again and then fire her again. So this is, I think, I think that it is inevitable that she will eventually enter double digits in terms of the number of times that, that she is fired. So she's on MSNBC. And she is talking about how she has brand new tapes. Now, Omarosa is desperate for money. This is a woman, of course, who is most famous for being nearly sociopathic on The Apprentice. And then Trump, in a brilliant piece of hiring, decided, let's bring her into the White House, which was not, it didn't quite fall under his rubric of hiring all the best people. But he hired her anyway. In any case, she now has taped everyone in the White House. And I talked to folks in the White House, and everybody thinks they're on tape from Omarosa. Uh, because she was pretty much walking around the White House like John Cusack and say anything with a boombox with a tape recorder in it. <laughs> so she went on MSNBC today to talk about her newest tape. Now, her tapes are really big nothing burgers. Nothing that she has broken via tape so far is really of any worth. Like she went out, her first tape was, John Kelly fired me. Okay, right, because you're terrible. Of course John Kelly fired you. Right? It's just a shock that he hadn't fired you before. Then there was a tape of her and Trump talking about how Trump didn't know that she was fired. And that's just because Trump, actually, the dirty little secret is Trump doesn't like firing people. But he likes other people to fire people for him. So there was that tape that came out, not a big deal. Then she has a new tape. Is it the dastardly N-word tape we've been hearing so much about? No. It's a tape of her talking to Lara Trump, right? The least known of the Trumps. And, I mean, nice lady, but... I mean, just because her last name is Trump doesn't mean that she's deeply important to American politics in a way that merits this sort of conversation. Omarosa releases tape of Lara Trump. And what is Lara Trump doing? She's offering her $15,000 a month to join the campaign, which has happened to virtually everyone who's ever left the Trump employ. Everyone ends up on their feet inside a super PAC or a Trump campaign. That's the way politics works. Omarosa releases this thing on MSNBC and ooh, it's the end of the world. So here's MSNBC with Omarosa treating her as though she's a whistleblower in a Hollywood movie when all that happened was somebody offered her a bunch of money to go be useless at another place. I know you you were making 179 at the White House. And I think we could work something out where we keep you right along those lines. Um, specifically, let me see, I haven't even added up the numbers, but we were talking about like 15K a month. Uh, let me see what that adds up to. 12. Yeah, so that's 180,000. Does that sound like uh, a fair deal? So the media treated this as though this is a giant payoff. Oh, wow, Lara Trump is trying to pay off Omarosa. It's not a giant payoff. This is how politics works. You leave one place, you get a job at another. There's nothing special here. But the media, of course, went wild over this, and then they wonder why we don't trust them. They are so desperate to get Trump that they will do legitimately anything. Penn Jillette, who's a magician uh, and also a libertarian, uh, he was on The Apprentice as, as one of the people on The Apprentice with Trump. And he did an interview in which he talked about Trump says kind of raunchy things off camera, which, yes, we know. And then he suggested that he wouldn't actually, he didn't think that Trump had said the N-word, but he wasn't going to say specifically what he thought Trump had said because he just didn't remember. This prompted Stephen Colbert, the execrable Stephen Colbert, who was, yeah, Boo is right. Uh, Stephen Colbert 
he, he decided that he was going to try to get Pendulette to say the N-word, to say that Trump actually said the N-word. The desperation that just ripples off these people in waves is astonishing. Look at the desperation in Stephen Colbert trying to convince Pendulette to please, please provide the political kill shot that will take down the president. Okay, picture the word that Donald Trump said. I want you to picture, I want you to picture, I want you to picture what that card was. Do you have it firmly in your mind? Picture, picture the word he said. Do you have the word in mind? Is this your word? <laughs> this, is, this is what passes for comedy these days, is basically just shouting about how President Trump is a racist. And again, all this goes back to that fundamental question as to why the media have earned our distrust. But it really isn't even the political stuff in which the media has earned our distrust. It's the cultural stuff. Because the truth is, it's the media's level of scorn for people like you, people like me, people like everybody in this audience. It's the level of scorn for everybody who does not live in LA or New York or believe the same things that they do. It's that level of scorn that really drives our distrust of the media because we feel like every time they make an error, there's an agenda behind the error. Every time they are dishonest, it's not just that they've lied about something, it's that there is a true agenda behind the dishonesty. So the best example of this that I could find today was Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah, who, as I've been saying for a long time, is in a running gun battle. Indeed, boo. So Trevor Noah, who's been in a running gun battle for least funny human being in the United States with Amy Schumer and Samantha Bee. Samantha Bee is out in front by, uh, by length, and then Trevor Noah is, is running a narrow second followed by Amy Schumer. That's just because Amy Schumer hasn't made a movie in like three months. But it, you know, they, all three of them are pretty awful. In any, in any case, Trevor Noah is on Comedy Central, and he decides to go after the Catholic Church. Now, the reason this is bad is not because everybody isn't horrified by the latest stories. We talked about it yesterday on the podcast. The latest stories about what's going on inside the Catholic Church, the cover-ups inside the Catholic Church. There's a story in Pennsylvania. 300 priests were basically covered up for by the archdiocese in Pennsylvania. A thousand kids who are abused minimum. It really horrifying, horrifying stuff. But as I said on my podcast yesterday and a couple of days ago, it is deeply important to recognize that institutions that deal with children routinely have problems with this and they routinely cover things up. And that's not an excuse for the Catholic Church in any way. But it is to suggest that singling out the Catholic Church as uniquely evil in this way is being intellectually dishonest. You can, you can say that it's evil, that their treatment here is evil, their treatment of the, the priests is evil, the treatment of the kids is evil. You can say all of that because Catholics will agree with you. Right? Every Catholic who saw this thing was sick to their stomach over the past week. There's not a single Catholic in America or anywhere around the world who saw this story and saw how these priests were treated who didn't feel sick to their stomach. And if you're a religious person of any stripe, you should feel sick to your stomach that any religious institution would cover up for that. But Listen to what Trevor Noah has to say about it, because this is a bridge further than that. And this is why people in sort of mainstream America, people who believe in God, people who are religious, feel that the media are coming after them, hammer and tongs, and are just waiting for an opportunity to stab us in the eye. Just in Pennsylvania, like we're not even counting the rest of America and Europe and Africa. And I'm sorry, guys, at, at some point, I feel like we need to stop calling it a church and start calling it what it is, a molesting club with an opening prayer, because that's what it feels like. That's an amazing statement, right? The Catholic Church is now a molesting club with an opening prayer. So question for Trevor Noah. He works in Hollywood. Hollywood not quite known for its, shall we say, sexual limits. <laughs> a Hollywood, where Roman Polanski wins an Oscar after raping a 14-year-old girl. A Hollywood, where Woody Allen is still working. Hollywood, where Harvey Weinstein worked for years and years and years side by side with people like Trevor Noah. How many people does Trevor Noah know who have actually abused people? 
My guess is more than a few. He may not know about the specific abuse, but I promise you there are lots of people in Hollywood who do. Sexual abuse in Hollywood is rampant. Does he, have you ever heard Trevor Noah say anything like, Hollywood is a molestation factory without an opening prayer? Have you ever heard anything like that? Of course not. How about the public schools? Would you ever hear anybody on the left talk about sexual abuse inside the public schools? There's an Associated Press report from May 2017. It found 17,000 official reports, official reports, of sex assaults on students from fall 2011 to spring 2015. It's amazing. 17,000 official reports. We were talking in Pennsylvania about 1,000 reports over the course of 30 years. Here you're talking about, in the public schools, 17,000 official reports of sex assaults on students in four years alone. According to Hofstra University researcher Cheryl Shakeshaft, who performed a study for the, the, the Department of Education in 2002, the physical sexual abuse of students in schools is likely more than 100 times the abuse by priests. A federal report found 422,000 California public school students would be victimized by sexual abuse before graduation, which was, at the time, more than the entire California Catholic school enrollment. There's a survey from the American Association of University Women. It found that one in 10 students from 8th to 11th grade said they'd been subjected to sexual comments, pornography, peeping, or sexual contact from a teacher or school employee, which would mean 4.5 million students across America between kindergarten and 12th grade who suffered sexual abuse by an educator. Have you ever heard anybody on the left talk about any of that stuff? Of course not. Even when the media report it, it's relegated to secondary status, which is one of the reasons why you know, the media will say, yeah, well, we covered it. Right, but did you cover it with the same sort of alacrity and anger that you cover abuse in the Catholic Church? If the answer is no, I have to assume the reason you are covering the Catholic Church differently than you cover the sanctified public schools is because you like the public schools and you don't like the Catholic Church. That is the rationale. And it feels like every day there's a new assault from the left on fundamental values. That the New York Times is constantly promoting a certain agenda with regard to key values that we all hold dear. Right? Key values like, you know, mothers and fathers. I have, to, I have to go through this. There's a great editorial. And when I'm great, I mean it's just awful freaking garbage over at the New York Times <laughs> by, by a guy named Kevin Noble Maylard. He is a professor, uh, I believe, at uh, Syracuse University. And he is working on a book about modern fatherhood in America, which is always a bad sign. His, the title of his piece is, When Being a Good Dad Gets You Promoted to Mommy. Okay? And here's what he says. He says, I'm a sucker for dramatic homecomings. I love stories of reunited siblings, and I devour videos of dogs greeting returning soldiers, but I participate in my own reunion spectacle every weekday. When I pick up my three-year-old from preschool, she charges at me like I'm an unattended bowl of cheddar goldfish. Mommy, she squeals. Horseshoeing, this is the dude, horseshoeing her tiny arms around my neck before she quells the emotion with the demand for food. Mommy, you have snack? My partner, Mama, who is female, is not there. I like that we have to clarify all these things now. Not my, not my wife, my partner, Mama, comma, who is female. Thanks for that. He says, when our daughter says Mommy, she's talking to me, her father. When my partner heard about this, she laughed. It's always weird to hear people who have a child together talk about their partners as though they formed an LLC to have the kid. <laughs> says, Neither one of us corrected our daughter. We assumed it was all part of language development. Then she went all in, announcing that she has two mommies to the amusement of the lesbian parents at school. Yeah, I'd be amused too. Says, I'm a professor of family law, so it's my job to analyze these types of occurrences as part of some larger issue. Well, then we are paying you too much money, my friend. Says, in this case, I'm intrigued by children's selection of names for their parents and what it possibly signifies. You know what it probably signifies? That your kid's a kid and is kind of dumb. Uh, breaking news. 
As the father of kids, two kids under five, kids are stupid, man. I mean, like, I love them. They're really smart for their age. My daughter is brilliant for her age, which means that she's four and a half, and she takes a violin lesson, and she can play, like, a note. And it means that she's on the verge of reading. And it means that if she were 20, she'd be really stupid. Right? Because when you're four and a half, you're dumb, right? And so if, if my daughter is calling me mommy or calling my wife daddy or something, fair assumption that she hasn't come up with some grand sociological scheme to rejigger the definition of gender in American society. Most likely, it's that she's dumb. But no, but no, according to the New York Times, this is an indicator of something deep and profound happening, shifting within the nature of gender in the United States. This guy says, our other child, who is five, called both parents mama when he started talking. Maybe it's just that you're, I, I, maybe, I mean, if it's both your kids doing it, now I'm starting to have suspicions. <laughs> our other child, who is five, called both parents mama when he started talking. It must have meant old person, because he once called our neighbor a 60-year-old southern man mama. Again, going back to my theory that kids are dumb. At the time, I was amused but slightly worried that this baby was bestowing maternity on anyone who held him. I tried to steer him toward Papa, but that was too much consonantal labor for this particular inf infant. He settled on Mimi. I was never, and then this is the best part, I was never thrilled about the actual name Dad, which in American culture is someone who tells bad jokes and wears socks with sandals. Now this part is actually, this is where we get into the culture gap. When I think of my own father, my father is a deeply devout human being, a deeply responsible human being. By the way, my mom worked, my dad was at home, because my mom was the breadwinner. My mom went out and she worked all day, and my dad was home raising us. Okay, he was still my dad, because you know, the basic definition of dad, honestly, when you boil all the other things out, the basic definition of dad is, when it's time for an ass whooping, who do you call? There is not a teenage boy on earth who is afraid of his mother. It just, it just it doesn't work that way. Okay, dad is the guy who is there to instill values and make sure those values are instilled. Dad is the guy who is make sure, there to make sure that there is responsibility that is implemented in the children. And mom is there for comfort. Now, both parents have roles in both of those areas, but those roles do have differentiation. Men have a more primary role when it comes to instilling virtue and ensuring that particularly boys are prepared for taking responsibility and making sure that girls feel protected. And mom is there to make sure that everyone feels supported. Right, that, that is the basic differentiation. Again, my parents did some of both. But in my family, where I take care of my, I'm actually home with my kids more than my wife is at this point because, as you may know, my wife is a doctor. When someone skins their knee, it's my wife's job to come in and fix that, and that would be true even if she weren't a doctor. And when it's time for the, the, the foot to come down, then that's, that's my job. I wanna talk a little bit more about this in just a second. But first, you're going to have to go over and subscribe over at dailywire.com for those of you who are listening. So, for just $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to Daily Wire. When you do, you get the rest of this show live on tape. You can see my face. It's magical. You can also get the Andrew Clavin show live. If we ever release Michael Moles from prison, then you can see the Michael Moles show live as well. Plus, you can get to be part of the mailbag, which we will be doing next week, actually. And um, if you spend 99 bucks, then you get this. Ah, uh, yes. This. It needs no introduction. It is the very greatest in all beverage vessels. It is magnificent. It will make you younger, better looking. It, 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 will, it is, it is a, a life beverage. It is fantastic. The Leftist Tears Hot or Cold Tumblr, that's for 99 bucks. Also, make sure that you subscribe over at YouTube, iTunes. You can see our Sunday special. This week, we got Greg Gutfeld stopping by. So check that out. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So to can. 
So to continue with this guy's idiotic piece over at the New York Times, and again, going back to the theme, the reason that we distrust the media is because they're constantly promulgating this sort of cultural change under the guise of journalism. So this professor writes, Dad is, is not a good guy, right? He's the lord of the grill and the duke of fix it. He's the best of the good guys, but when it comes to the nitty gritty of parenting, mom schedules the appointments, buys the clothes, and makes the play dates. It is a common division of labor for most heterosexual couples. Moms do more. When I moved in with my partner, we talked about gender norms. I'll bet you did, my friend. He said, when I was younger, I welcomed gender subversions in pop culture staples like Kramer versus Kramer, Mr. Mom, Mrs. Doubtfire, and even that pre-Chucky My Buddy doll. As an adult, I'm still trying to do more. And then he quotes a 1953 children's book called Daddies. and says, what do daddies do all day? Daddies work while children play. Correct, but this is very bad. This is very bad, right? Instead, daddy is supposed to be mommy, basically, and so he's actually very pleased that he is called mommy. He just hopes that one day there really won't be titles, mommy and daddy. Instead, it'll just be schmoo. I, I don't know what term we'll use for mommy and daddy that is by gender, but apparently that is what he wants. says, I presented the issue of my children's naming innovations to a fellow academic, one who speaks fluent Berkeley, which is to say that they were hit on the head as a child, who told me, <laughs> that the Mimi Mommy dialectic is a liminal space for interpolating and or repudiating hegemonic parental gender binaries. <laughs> At which point, everybody ran. He says, I thought about this mouthful of jargon for a long time. I still think about it. I, like most modern men, want to be taken seriously as a parent in my own right. However my kids choose to name me, I think of all the other fathers the single ones, the stay-at-home ones, the gay ones, even the dad ones, who do more than earn paychecks and babysit. We are knocking at the door for an interview at the toughest job in the world, waiting to be let in. Okay, the, the idea that if you want to take care of your kids more hours per day, that this makes you mommy, is just a way to obliterate gender distinctions. It's just a way to pretend that men and women are exactly the same and they play exactly the same role. That's foolish. It's not the amount of time you spend with your kids that makes you a mommy or a daddy. It's how you interact with your kids. It is indeed the quality of that interaction and the attitude that you take during that interaction. It's a, there's a great video on YouTube sort of contrasting how moms and dads deal with small children. And it shows a mother with her kid on like a little tricycle. And she's trying to make sure the kid doesn't fall off the tricycle. And it's all really cute. And they're moving really slowly. And they have to make sure that the kid doesn't fall over. And then the dad comes in. And the dad grabs the tricycle and goes, and starts swinging it around the room. Men and women are different. It's one of the most beautiful things in life. The fact that the left wants to obliterate those distinctions. The fact the left wants to destroy all that is really, truly troubling in a serious way and the reason why we don't trust people on the left who promulgate this, this sort of nonsense. Okay, now, meanwhile, it's not just people on the left in the media. It's also people on the left in social media. So over at Twitter, they have decided they are now going to limit what you can see. Jack Dorsey did an interview this week. He's the head of Twitter, in which he suggested that it was his job to guide people toward healthier conversation. Here's what he had to say. We want to take a broader view in terms of what our service can provide and that ability to show some of the darkest places in the world, shine light on them and try to disarm it and try to engage it in a way that gets us to a healthier public conversation where we can all participate and we can all debate and we don't fear our safety and we feel protected. That is our goal. We are, we are not here to have Jack Dorsey tell us what a healthy conversation constitutes or have him pick for us what we can and cannot see on Twitter. The same people. 
The same people at the New York Times who promulgate the worst kinds of ideas are the same people who are going to social media and saying you should elevate us as fact tellers and you should downgrade everybody we disagree with. This is dangerous stuff and it's why so many people are kicking back against what actually has become a, hegem a hegemonic news media attempting to cramp the diversity of viewpoints that really should be exploding in the media ecosystem. Okay, meanwhile, I have to tell you that there's, a, there's an awful, awful story I want to tell you about because it says something about human nature to shift topics for, for a few minutes. There's this story from the New York Times by a, a person named Rukmini Kalamachi, uh, and it's a story of these two people. Uh, their names are Jay Austin and Lauren Jogan, I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, here's what happened. They were they're, they're American citizens, and they decided to go on a bike trip around the world. And they decided to go into areas that are not particularly safe. One of the areas of the bike trip that they went on was an area in Tajikistan, which is right on the Afghan border. And it turns out that when they did, some ISIS members, this is the first ISIS attack in the country, I believe, uh, uh, some ISIS members basically ran them off the road with a truck and then stabbed them to death. The reason that this story is so horrifying is because what it says about people's view of evil and human nature. And so here's what the New York Times suggests. The New York Times says, asked why they'd quit their office jobs and set off on a biking journey around the world, the young American couple offered a simple explanation. They had grown tired of the meetings and teleconferences, of the timesheets and password changes. There's magic out there in this great, big, beautiful world, wrote Jay Austin, who along with his partner, Lauren Jogan, gave his two weeks notice last year before shipping his bicycle to Africa. And they went, you know, for more than a year, they just went biking around everywhere. And there on July 29th in, in Tajikistan, a carload of men who are believed to have recorded a video pledging allegiance to ISIS spotted them. A grainy cell phone clip recorded by a driver shows what happened next. The men's Daibu sedan passes the cyclists and then makes a sharp U-turn. It doubles back, aims directly for the bikers, ramming into them and lurching over their fallen forms. And all four people were killed, Mr. Austin, Ms. Shogun, and cyclists from Switzerland and the Netherlands. And then ISIS released a video in which they made a pledge to kill disbelievers. The reason that this story is, is worth talking about is because of the worldview of the people who went biking. It's obviously, it's a tragic, terrible, terrible story. But the reason that these folks decided they were going to do this is because what they said is that evil is a human construct. Here's what Mr. Austin wrote before he was killed. He wrote, you read the papers, and you're led to believe that the world is a big, scary place. People, the narrative goes, are not to be trusted. People are bad, people are evil. I don't buy it. Evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow humans holding values and beliefs and perspectives different than our own. By and large, humans are kind. Self-interested sometimes, myopic sometimes, but kind. Generous and wonderful and kind. No greater revelation has come from our journey than this. And then, of course, they were murdered by ISIS. It's, it's I mean, it, terrible story. But this view is very, very common among folks who tend to be on the left side of the political aisle. It even includes some folks who are, are libertarian-ish in the sense that they believe that there don't necessarily need to be social systems that inculcate virtue in children. That people are by necessity self-interested and the self-interest is good and therefore you can leave people to their own devices. I generally agree on governmental grounds. I do not agree that it is not our job to instill virtue or that people are by nature good. I don't think people are by nature good. I think people are by nature capable of both good and capable of evil. Now, what he says here is kind of interesting. When he says evil's a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with complexities of fellow humans holding values and beliefs and perspectives different than our own, this suggests that there is no such thing as an evil value system, which, of course, is not true. There are plenty of evil value systems. And failure to adjudicate between value systems, failure to say certain value systems are worse than other value systems, allows those value systems to thrive, to rise, and to eventually take over. Because one of the great lies that we're told when we're children is that good is more powerful than evil. Good is not more powerful than evil. Good can only triumph 
when there are lots of good people and a lot fewer evil people. Evil is a lot more powerful than good. And this is proof, right? This story is proof of that because these folks went on this bicycle journey all over the world, 99 out of every 100 people they met, nice people all over the world. All it takes is one person who wants to stab you in the face for their religion, and it turns out that evil wins, which is why we have to be constantly vigilant for evil. It's why we have to build systems to contain evil and check evil. It's why we have to have a powerful military to fight evil. It's why we have to constantly be looking at value systems and determining whether those value systems are more likely to create evil action. If we're not actually doing that, then we're not doing our jobs as, as moral human beings, I believe. And it creates a naive generation of people who have lived under the protection of the most powerful military in human history, who have lived under the protection of the West, but believe that the natural state of human beings is to be like this. That is not true. The natural state of human beings is poverty, war, and death. Hobbes is right about that. Okay, that's the natural state of human beings. It is only a civilized system, a civilized worldview, a government that is limited in scope, that allows us to live free and allows us to bring up our children in such a way that they don't become evil, but instead become good, good value-driven human beings that make the world a better place. Alrighty, so now it's time for some things I like and then some things I hate. So things I like. Uh, very sad news that Aretha, Aretha Franklin passed today. Uh, that, that obviously everybody is very upset about. And uh, you'll remember her great performance in Blues Brothers. She, she really had an unbelievable gift. I mean, her, her voice is just spectacular. Uh, this is some of the best Aretha Franklin ever from, uh, from Blues Brothers. You've never seen the movie, by the way. It's a very funny movie. Uh, it's and uh, Aretha Franklin. It's, it's worthwhile noting kind of her place in the culture. Aretha Franklin came about at a time when there was no such thing really as a black solo female artist in, in the pop genre. Uh, there were some jazz artists, but, but not in, in sort of this area. Uh, gospel was not a mainstream form yet, and she kind of brought it over into, into the mainstream. Uh, and of course, you, you can tell her talent because Honestly, like there are a lot of women, like Diana Ross is a very good looking woman. Aretha Franklin was a normal looking person who just had an unbelievable gift. Uh, and so, you know, obviously very sad for her to pass and uh, her music is gonna live on beyond her. Other things that I like. So Glenn Close, right, a Hollywood actress, actually said something halfway intelligent today. It was great. She was talking about this itty, just idiotic new movement by the left that says that you can only play a character if you are like that character in real life. So you can only play a transgender person if you are a transgender person. You can only play a gay person if you are a gay person. You can only play Superman if you can fly. You can only play a space alien if, in fact, you descend from Thanos. Right? You, you can't, that's how all this is gonna work. Well, Glenn Close, who is still, she can get away with this because she's a major actress who's been in town for, for decades. She says, um, I thought we were actors. I thought that was like our thing. So here's what she had to say. People who are producing and directing properties like that need to go out of their way to give people, uh, like, you know, if you're playing trans, to get uh, trans actors uh, jobs. But they also should have the opportunity to cast the best person. I think acting is a craft. And I think, I personally think on, on that anyone should be able to play anyone. Well, it's going to be very sad when her career ends because of that. Uh, you're not allowed to say these sorts of things in Hollywood anymore. And proof of this is in the things that I hate. There's a, one of the stars of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, 
uh, came out and said that not all Republicans are racist. I know, it's a revelation. But this person was destroyed for it. So here is what this, this fellow had to say about Republicans. I'm not advocating for racism. I'm definitely not advocating for Donald Trump, who sucks. But I am saying that from the left, if you want to get us into a safer place nationally so that we can have LGBT rights and we can continue having equality, then we have to be able to not demonize the right. He got shellacked for this, right? That's exactly right. This guy's exactly right. He doesn't think like anybody in this room does probably, but that's great that he actually is willing to recognize that he, his career will be over. This is the thing you cannot say on the left. While the left claims they want to reach out to all of us, they don't actually want to reach out to all of us. They prefer to call everybody on this side of the aisle a Nazi and a racist and a terrible person and then castigate us for our immorality. It makes it very comfortable for them to, to push crappy policy. And you never have to justify your policy if the guy on the other side's a Nazi. But this, but this person says something good. It's just sad to me that this person was attacked for all of it. Okay, other things that I hate. So yesterday, you'll recall, that Andrew Cuomo said that America was never that great. Uh, yeah, and Andrew Cuomo, who is indeed the stupider Cuomo brother, as he proved this week. Yeah, a difficult title to seize from his brother Chris. Well, Cynthia Nixon responded, and it was really funny, because Cynthia Nixon's running against him for governor of New York, and Cynthia Nixon responded by saying that he's a fake, he's a phony, he talks like he thinks socialists talk. So now she gets to outflank him by saying, like, he's not anti-American enough. Right? She's gradually dragging Andrew Cuomo along with her, just like the socialist wing of the Democratic Party is dragging the entire Democratic Party along with them, hand over hand by rope. It's pretty amazing. And you can see it even in our best friend Hillary Clinton, who is back. She's back. Okay, so there's a, there's a video that was going around the internet of this little 11-year-old girl who was kneeling for the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, if at 11 years old you're kneeling for the Pledge of Allegiance, it's fair to say that you've probably been indoctrinated by your parents in certain political viewpoints. Here's what this little girl did, and there's a news story about it, and then we'll show you what Hillary had to say about it. I decided to kneel for the school pledge, um, and when I did so, um, my teacher, she, um, she came up to me, and she told me that, um, well, she basically implied I was... Um, Disrespecting the country, um, she brought up her family overseas, um, which, um, to my current belief, is that um, she, like, legally, this is not. Okay, so I, I feel bad for this girl. I honestly, I feel bad for the girl because her parents put her in the position of doing this in front of her teacher and her classmates. It is true that under Supreme Court law, she does not have to actually stand for the Pledge of Allegiance or anything like that, right? They, they can, that's compelled speech. You can't do that in a classroom. However, it is also true that it is bad for 11-year-old girls to be taught that they should not stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, which is a unifying feature of the United States and simply recognizes that we live in the greatest country ever founded. So how far has the Democratic Party moved? Here was Hillary Clinton's response on Twitter. She tweeted this out. It takes courage to exercise your right to protest injustice, especially when you're 11. Keep up the good work, Mariana. Okay, I can't imagine how in the world this woman lost the presidency to Donald Trump. How? How could that possibly have happened? The, the, fact, that, the, the fact that the Democrats are so deeply uncomfortable with basic patriotism is one of the reasons why the Democrats are losing the middle of the country. It's also one of the reasons why the country is being torn apart. It's torn in half because once the American flag becomes something that is controversial, 
What exactly do we share anymore? We don't share religion. We don't share central values. We don't share a belief in the Constitution. We don't believe, share a belief in God-given rights protected by limited government. We don't believe in any of these things. If the basic symbolism of we at least like the country goes away, there's not much left. So it's, it's, it's really disturbing that Hillary's in this. Now, I promised one of our producers, Colton. Colton is, Colton's job on the show is to find weird stuff. And Colton spends a lot of time on the internet finding weird stuff. He says it's for the show. I assume that, I assume that he is telling the truth. And he showed me this very, very weird thing that I felt, I felt compelled to talk about. There are now people who dress, adults, who dress as babies as a fetish. It's an actual thing. And there's video of these people. And this exists on this planet, on planet Earth. And I hesitate to inflict this on you, but I'm just that cruel. So, here is a, in a, a video about this, demonstrating you know, what some of the, I would say, more fringe elements, well, less understood elements, put that way, less understood elements of our population go through in pursuing their jollies. An adult baby is somebody who enjoys dressing up and acting like a baby. Well, I've got my diaper changing materials nice and close. I've got my puppy dog mobile. When I have to make a number two, it's in the toilet. And no, I don't sit in a wet diaper all day long. But of course, I've got mine on. Some of my favorite adult baby activities would be uh, playing with my, my uh, Duplo Legos. You can build anything you're, you can imagine. Uh, I'm Colton, you're fired. Um, <laughs> the reason to talk about this is because when we say that we may be infantilizing our adults, when we may be saying that May, that if we look at that and we go, yeah, that seems strange. Maybe we shouldn't all be like super cool with that sort of thing. Then that's considered intolerant. And it is intolerant because, how, first of all, I have a question. How do we know that that isn't actually a baby? He identifies as a baby. How do we know that that is not, in fact, a small child in a giant man's body? How, I mean, I feel like we are being absolutely adult norm. We're being age normative. And that is just wrong. We should totally not mock this in any way whatsoever. When, when tolerance gets to the point where men dressing in diapers and lying in cribs is considered part of a media coverage that ought to be you know, given that sort of credit, I think maybe the country has gone wrong. Uh, maybe we've brought up our kids a little bit wrong. So to go back to the main theme of the show, until people start recognizing that there are some certain basic values that we may want to inculcate in our kids that aren't up like that, uh, then, we, then we're going to have some real problems in the country. Okay, well, we will see you back here next time. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Carmina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free 
should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 